The LifeGiver app with Corey Weathers is now out and available for iOS and Android devices. You'll have access to the podcast, videos, as well as marriage curriculum that you can access and interact with right inside the app. Download the LifeGiver app with Corey Weathers today. Welcome to the LifeGiver Marriage Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope for your military or first responder marriage. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to share this journey with you. Close your eyes for a minute if you wanna see the Welcome to another episode of the Life Giver Podcast. Today's show is made possible by Talkspace, an online therapy option that allows you to work with experienced, licensed therapists handpicked just for you for as little as $32 a week. On Talkspace, you can send texts, auto and video messages to your therapist online or through their app, all HIPAA approved. Talkspace has therapists that are trained to deal with military and first responder issues and is a great way to give you consistent help for less than your average copay. To sign up or learn more, go to Talkspace.com forward slash LMS. Talkspace is even giving listeners of LifeGiver $30 off your first month by using the code LMS. That's promo code LMS and Talkspace.com forward slash LMS. Welcome to the Life Giver Podcast. This is Corey Weathers. It is my joy and my honor to bring to you an incredible interview with Mrs. Deanie Dempsey. I'm going to share a little bit about Mrs. Dempsey. She is the wife of General Marty Dempsey. He was our chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff from 2011 to 2015, and more about that here in just a minute. But Deanie is so much more than just a wife. She was born and raised in New York. After graduating with a degree of education from Lemoyne University in Syracuse, New York, she was married to Marty, her Burke High School sweetheart, and began her life as a military spouse. She has lived in seven of the United States, 11 years in Germany, and two years in Saudi Arabia. I hope we get to talk about that, Dini. Along the way, and uh, along the way, and while raising her own family, she earned her master's degree from the University of Colorado. She has three children: Christopher, Megan, and Caitlin. Marty actually commissioned all three children in the Army, and their son Chris remains on active duty. She has nine wonderful grandchildren, Kayla, McKenna, and Finley by Chris and daughter-in-law Julie, Luke, Braden, and David by Caitlin and son-in-law Shane, and Hunter, Alexander, and Samuel by Megan and son-in-law Corey. Deanie is a role model for military spouses in every way from physical fitness to energy, enthusiasm, dedication, and compassion. She is a loyal Army Army, Notre Dame, and Duke sports fan, and like her husband, she's simply proud to serve. So after spending several decades of service and support of just the Army, Deanie became a champion for all of the services in her role as the chairman's spouse. In the past four years alone, she has engaged in countless activities in support of military families, coached and mentored military spouses of all services, participated in dozens of private and charitable organizations, traveled the world representing the United States military, hosted visits to the United States by the spouses of foreign military leaders and coordinated the family support activities of the White House and the Department of Defense. Deanie, thank you so much for giving us some of your time. It is such an honor to have you on the podcast. Well, it's my honor to be here. Thanks for asking me, Corey, and thanks for what you do with all this. It's really wonderful. So, Well, it's a lot of fun. And 
the thing that I love about doing this podcast is because um, we have so many couples that are in various stages of their military service and in their marriage as well. And you know, after 39 years of service and you said 41 years married, you have so much wisdom to share with us on the different stages of the military service journey and also what it um, takes to kind of work on your marriage through the ups and downs of all of that. And so I'm excited to to do that. Before we jump in, though, I, I want to make sure to not assume that those listening fully understand what it was that your husband just retired from as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So I found this paragraph and I wanted to read it and then maybe you could break it down for us kindergarten style. Is that okay? Sure. <laughs> it's kind of moving backwards, but I think it's really important when people hear that you guys, 39 years of service, I think it's important for people to understand um, how did that 39 years of service, I don't want to say it ended, but um, how did you guys finish and finish well? So this is what I found as far as the job description in three sentences, right, of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So the collective body of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is headed by the chairman who sets the agenda and presides over Joint Chief of Staff meetings. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is the principal military advisor to the president, secretary of defense, and the National Security Council. However, all Joint Chief Staff members are by law military advisors and they may respond to a request or voluntarily submit through the chairman advice or opinions to the president, the secretary of defense, or the National Security Council. So um, General Dempsey, your husband, was our chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff from 2011 to 2015, and he was our Army Chief of Staff, let's see, in 2011. Is that right? Right. He was only the Chief of Staff for four four months, 149 days to be exact. Um, Because so... What people may not know, in order to be the chairman, you have to have been either a service chief or a combatant commander. So it's not just any four-star that can be selected to do that. So Marty had been the commander of TRADOC, which is not a combatant command as a four-star. So unbeknownst to him, when they made him the chief of staff of the Army, which we were so, so, so excited about doing... Um, it was really to check that block so that then they could make him the chairman. And um, yeah, when he told me, he came home and he said, so the president would like me to be the chairman. And I said, just say no. And he said, well, what do you mean? Just say, you don't say no to the president. And I said, but honey, I just hung the last set of curtains, you know, how we spouses do. So anyway, um, that was a short-lived chief of staff, but he still counts himself a former chief as well. And then we moved over to be the chairman. So now just, just to be clear, when you're talking about hanging the last set of curtains, when he was, did you guys have to move your house? Yes. Yes. Was it still? So after 149 days, we moved two doors down. As a matter of fact, the movers, when they came, excuse me, the one day and they said, now tell me again where you're moving. And I kind of did one of these and I opened the front door and I said, right there. Wow. And so, yeah, you know, that's what you do. I mean, you take the job, you take the house and the chief of staff of the army's house is such a historic home because every chief has lived there. Um, but then we really ended up loving and embracing the chairman's house and, um, it had been empty for four years. So we, there were some things we had to do and, and get it up to speed and pictures of former chairman and the plaque in the house and those kind of things to kind of um, bring some history to that as well. Um, Marty was able to get a desk that had been George Marshall's 
and um, he had been the first chairman. So that now resides in the quarters. And so we tried to do some things, you know, because we were familiar with the chief of staff's house and how Marty used to say in the morning, he'd walk down the hall to go into the kitchen for breakfast or coffee or, and every chief of staff's picture is on the wall. And he said, the pressure of seeing all those guys watching me every day, you know, was just kind of so, but it was neat. It was a neat experience to live in both places. So such an honor and what an incredible, probably intense time of service for you guys. Um, can you describe a little bit what that was like um, in your life, what that was like to have, was it, I guess, four years of, right. of right. Being, him being the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And so I know you traveled a lot, you entertained a lot. So what was that like for you those four years? It was crazy. <laughs> um, I used to say to people, you know, they'd say, aren't you exhausted? I said, yes, we'll, we've decided we'll sleep in four years when this is done because you just... Um, you just kept going. I mean, we would travel probably close to two weeks every month. Um, when we were in town, we were doing what we called the Chad visits. So another interesting thing I learned in this job, our country is the only one who calls Marty, Marty's position chairman of the Joint Chiefs. The other countries call them Chad, what we refer to as Chad, chief of defense. Mm -hmm. So they have a chief of army, chief of navy, chief of air force, then chief of defense, where we have our service chiefs and then chairman. So, you know, just a little nuance, but we would have these Chad visits. And when we did, Marty would have the Chad with him for the day and I would have the spouse and we would do something that we, you know, we would kind of research what her interests were or um, if she had been to the US before, what she had already seen or what she wanted to do. And then that was up to me to do that with her. And then that night we would have a dinner for 24 at the house. And um, they, you know, there's so much to be said about, you know, you hear it's all about relationships and it, it so is. Um, they would, they just loved seeing how and where we lived, pictures of our kids or our grandkids. Um, and, you know, we would have a dinner and we would always have one of the services, choral groups or musical groups come and entertain them after. They would learn, a, you know, if it was the Mexican child, they'd learn, you know, if folklore song from Mexico or I mean they're so talented every one of those music groups and it would just make for a wonderful evening and everybody would leave with you know kind of smiles on their faces and so we really felt that was an important part of our job was you know we I was as much an ambassador for the U.S. as Marty's is what I, I took it seriously that role because I knew for some of them maybe that was the only time they would ever see our country. So you, you know, you want to put your best foot forward and, and just show them how proud we are to be Americans and share that a little with them. Now, a lot of people may not realize that you guys, um, do you get a lot of support? You get aids and you get, um, some help. So you're not right, cooking right. necessarily yeah. so for 24 I'd people. I'd be out all day with the spouse. I could not plan a dinner for 24 that night. No, we had, um, three enlisted aides at the house, um, that would work and coordinate dinners or, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And they were amazing. I mean, they've all won culinary awards and um, you'd have an amazing dinner for far less than it would cost us to take them to a restaurant in Washington, D.C. And there wouldn't be the um, ability to mingle. And, you know, when they would first come in, we'd kind of just have a little kind of cocktail hour, pass hors d'oeuvres kind of thing and just everybody mingle. Then we'd sit 
And then Marty would get up and, you know, welcome people or whatever. Um, a couple of other things we did at those dinners, we would always have the spouse of a deployed service member. Um, we just felt like sometimes, well, I should say, I should clarify that, a, a general officer spouse. Because I remembered Marty being gone for two consecutive years. When I lived at Fort Belvoir, you kind of feel forgotten. Or it's the old, oh, she's a general, so she can handle it. And you still are lonely, you know. And so, and just to show kind of some appreciation for what they were doing. And to let other, you know, the, these chads and their, for, you know, what are we ask of our families and our spouses and stuff and just to recognize them. So we would always have a spouse at the dinner and Marty would recognize them too. And, um, and then we'd, you know, do toasts and stuff. And then we'd have the entertainment after, which again, as I said, was always, that might've been the air force strolling strings or the army chorus or downrange, or they have many different splinter groups and every one of them just made us so proud. So what an incredible season for you guys. Um, knowing th after 39 years of service what it was like to start off as a brand new military spouse and um, and be entertaining as the chairman. Joy it's such a long title, isn't it? The I spouse know. of the chairman <laughs> of Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot to be said about perspective. And so um, what do you ever look back like when you were entertaining or when you were doing so many of the things that you were doing um, to to advocate for families? Um, what kind of perspective did you walk away from um, kind of being there and advocating for so many of our families? What did you see at that level that you may not have been able to see maybe when you started off as a military spouse? Um, well, you, you get to see everything at that level. I mean, and so like you said, I traveled with Marty everywhere. And there were times where they would say, you know, that it, it didn't meet the qualifications. And so I said, well, I still feel like I need to go. So I would write a check to travel with him. And so when, and then I would always meet with spouses at every stop and you, spouses are truthful. They will tell you what's going on. And I used to kid Marty and say, you know, you go one way and I go one way. And the way you go they want the general to think everything's perfect. I mean, and not that they're lying, but they're showing them all the good stuff. And so when I would meet with spouses, they would tell me, you know, and not, I don't mean that they would complain about it. They would tell the, and I used to start it by saying, okay, tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly, because we know there's good. And so maybe if it's good where you're stationed, we need to replicate it other places. And maybe if it's bad here and we didn't know, it could be bad other places too that, so, you know, let's have this honest discussion. And so then we'd get back in the plane and I'd turn around and I'd say to Marty, okay, did you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'd start and they'd all, you know, in their chairs go, oh gosh, here she goes again. But I said, look, if you want me to travel with you, this is the reason why I'm doing it because um, spouses will be honest and I am now in a position to be able to help fix, not that you can fix everything. Let's face it, some things were either, budgetary items that, you know, I had no control over or, or Marty or, and so, but there was, it was interesting because sometimes there was a very easy fix to something. It was just, you don't know what you don't know and you can't fix what you don't know. And so, um, I, you know, I just thought that was so beneficial to be able to travel around and get the issues. And that's actually kind of how I'm sure you've heard of joining forces that, 
Mrs. Obama and, and Dr. Biden started. Well, the way they found out what to work on and what initiatives to do with joining forces was they would come to the four-star conferences that I would hold because all of these spouses were traveling around and hearing issues and we would present them to them and say, okay, here, this really needs work. licensure for spouses or whatever now that we've, you know, really made some headway on was because of traveling around and hearing the issues. Otherwise you don't, you wouldn't know really what all is going on at that level. Joining forces is, I owe so much to joining forces because of my licensure issues. Um, I mean, I, I printed off that entire joining forces initiative. I don't know how many pages that actually was, but I printed off the entire thing and sent it in my, with my application to the state of Georgia, just, you know, begging for that licensure to go through faster. And, um, and even, offered to come and sit at the steps and wait for their yeah. approval. Yeah. But, I mean, it really went um, a long ways towards starting the discussion for our families to make the portability of, of certifications and licensures faster or just exactly. at least starting the discussion. And so exactly. it's a snowball now. And I've been, it's just been wonderful to see states that are making it easier. Um, even here recently, switching my license to Virginia, it was so fast. It was so easy. There was no questions and there was um, kind of a fast track as a military spouse. And it would blew my mind how fast it was. And so right. I owe that to the Joining Forces Initiative and all the work that you guys did with that. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to expand a little bit on what your experience was like doing, you know, working with the Joining Forces and working with Michelle Obama and Jill Biden on that? I mean, that was a huge huge step that you guys made in um, making it easier, not just for spouses, by the way, this was also for veterans right. transitioning and getting jobs and jobs. all of that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it was really an important initiative and truth be told when it first started, um, it was one of those, I think it, it was, a, it sounded like a great idea and it, it was a great idea, but there wasn't really any teeth or meat to it. Um, it was kind of, yeah, we should do this. And actually, at one point, one of the gals that was working at the White House for Joining Forces came to one of our conferences and almost implied that we, the four-star spouses, should be doing a lot of this work. And I said, hold on just a minute, you know, and, and not being ugly about it at all. But I said, we're all really busy and really working hard. And we don't have the platform of the White House. Mm -hmm. So we're more than happy to help you. But at the end of the day, you know, what we tell, then you need to carry that forward and get stuff going. And so, and then they did put um, a, so it was either a colonel or a captain in the Navy or that rank to assist the staff over at Joining Forces so that they, and then they really kind of started clicking and, like I said, I, I, and everything takes a while, let's face it, to, and is everything done or tied up in a nice little bow? No, but there was a lot of progress made. And so that was encouraging just to see that um, they did kind of take the bull by the horns and, and say, okay, here we go, you know? And so, and we would help whenever, um, when I would have, so there would be a conference um, of the service chief spouse and all the combatant commander spouses when, Marty and the guys would be meeting too, and then us. And usually once a year, they would invite us over to the White House. And the spouses would all be with um, the president and having a top-level secret meeting. And we would all meet, and inevitably, um, 
Ms. Obama and Dr. Biden would come in at the end of it and talk to all of us. And um, and then we would have a dinner there. And it was really not, you know, they just they were thanking all of us for what we were doing and, and showing some appreciation for, you know, what we were doing. And, and then we responded back that, you know, we so appreciated what they were doing for us as well. So, um, yeah, it was pretty neat to, you know, get invited to the White House to talk issues of whether it's military, families, spouses, veterans, all of that. And um, yeah, I, I, I think we, we got a lot done. So. I think you did too. And I think one of the things that I'm hearing is the power of having a team. And um, I love the fact that you were able to say, you know, this is, um, this is all I can do and that's enough. And we need to pull together um, the strengths that other people can bring as a team and coming together and we can actually make a difference when we come together and bring those strengths together. And so sometimes as a leader, the best thing that you can do is cast vision. And I think that's a lot of what you guys were doing is casting vision on the needs that were out there and handing that to a team of people that can actually start to have the conversation to make a difference. Uh, the other thing that I'm hearing about is just how incredible it is to be a, a huge part of history. So when you look back now, um, do you see it that way? Do you see yourselves as being a significant part of history? It's funny. I mean, I hadn't thought of it till you just said it, but um, I guess, yeah. I mean, I, I think it was a, a turning point, you know, and let's face it, a lot of it is because of the past 13 years of, you know, constant deployments and, and then moving and what we're asking of family. And not that we always haven't, you know, we've always moved as a military and we've always, but when you add all those deployments and everything along with it, um, and, and then all our injured service members as a result, you know, there's just a lot more to look at, I think. And so um, being part of trying to help in any way possible was, um, was really uh, a humbling experience and um, just a great honor to be able to have done it. So, so I, we are so thankful that you guys did. Um, I'd like to take you back a little bit. Um, to one of the first experiences that I ever had with you, and you didn't know about it, but um, this was, no, <laughs> we were um, back in 2011, and I wonder, he probably was the Army Chief of Staff at the time. And I want to say it was 2011, and I was at Fort Carson, Colorado, and I want to say it was probably during a deployment, and I turned on the TV, we were living on the installation, I turned on the TV, and you know, they always, usually, I don't know if they still do, but in the, usually on the installations, you have... Um, the military channel, right? Right, right. So I was scrolling through and there um, you and General Dempsey were up on a stage. It was a town hall and um, I'm not sure who the town hall was for, but they were broadcasting this town hall of the two of you talking together. And I paused and I sat on my couch and I listened to you guys. And um, one of the most encouraging and wonderful things that I got from you guys was how much you were a team um, how much you loved each other. I mean, you still do, but what I saw, what I saw was two people that love each other, that serve together, that, um, have both have something to say and both have a way to serve the people that, that this life has called you to serve. And I just remember experiencing such warmth from the both of you as a team and as a married couple. And that cast such um, hope for me as a military spouse. It was our first assignment. 
And um, just knowing that there was leadership out there, that um, that there was a marriage that was intact, that there was a marriage that was strong and warm and friendly, and that that was also part of our leadership. And um, so I want to ask you just some of your wisdom, just looking back over your 39 years of service. Um, take us back to when you first became a military spouse and what it was like for you guys just starting off. So we got married on a Saturday and flew to Germany on Monday to wow. start. Yeah, Morty had already been there for 18 months, so he was two years ahead of me. He had graduated West Point. And I wanted to wait to graduate from college before we would get married and um, had no clue, no idea what I was in for. I mean, my family wasn't military. Marty's wasn't. I mean, he ended up, he went to West Point, but, um, and so landed over there and, um, it, it, in a way, I think it was a great way to start because, um, we were so far from home. There was no running home to mom if there was a fight or, you know what I mean? Um, you know, we couldn't even call back then. I mean, it was so expensive in the two years we were there. I talked to my parents once and it was, um, because one of Marty's best friends had lost a child at stillbirth and they wanted us to know. And so, I mean, this will really sound dated, but in order to communicate with our families, we would do cassette tapes, play, record, and mail them back and forth because we, you know, there was no computers, couldn't afford to call. And I'll never forget our, our first Christmas. So we decided we're going to make a Christmas tape to them. And so we sit down and Marty presses play, record. And I said, hi, Mom and Dad. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and I start sobbing and we're like, stop. It's like, okay, you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I can do this. Play <laughs> It took us like five tries to get it out. But it, it was wonderful starting out over there. And just, um, we were on a really tiny concern. There were maybe 20 officers. Our stairwell was all newlyweds. And so when the guys would go to the field, we'd all take, you know, okay, today everybody's at Dini's, she'll cook, tomorrow we're at Patty's, tomorrow, you know. And so you kind of, I immediately felt that I was part of something, I think, um, in looking back. Um, but, you know, it was hard, but it, it was also, like I said, I think a great way to start a marriage because we had to figure it out one way or the other. And, um, so I guess we figured it out the right way. I don't know. 41 years later, I guess, I guess it worked out okay. But, you did uh, something right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's so many mili military spouses that are just starting off. And I hear them saying those same words, like, I have no idea what this is going to look like for me. And there's fear. There's trepidation. There is so much uncertainty in this lifestyle. And so... Um, what would you say to some of these new new military spouses just coming in? I know the world is the culture is different with technology and and so much easier and it's and it's easy to say well it's so much easier now than it was then. But to them, right? But it's, it's still the hard. Same. It still may be away from home and not, you know. I mean, it's that's hard. I think I would just say embrace it and and um, not to say you know not Pollyanna. There are going to be time. I mean, I was on my soapbox, you know, I hate the army for this, or I can't believe they did that or, you know, but you kind of get over it. And I think, um, at the end of it, you will, if you embrace it in kind of the old bloom or your planet, I know that's kind of an old fashioned thing, but, um, I, I think 
the rewards are so great. I mean, you will make friends like you've never thought. I mean, I, I always tell people that I could get in the car on the East Coast and drive to the West Coast and never spend a night in a hotel. And I might not have seen you since, you know, 1994. But I know if I'm on I-70 and you're at Fort Riley and I call up and I say, hey, I'm passing through, you're going to say, hey, stop by, you know, we got a couch or we've got a beer in the fridge or whatever. And I don't know that there are many careers or lifestyles that that is the fact. And so, um, and I, I think for your kids, as hard as it can be moving, I think it's in a lot of ways a benefit to your kids. They learn to be adaptable and flexible and because that's life at the end of the day, it's not, you know, kind of here. So better that they learn it, you know, along the way. And, um, and again, they, they, they get to see so much and, um, uh, yeah, I, I just think embrace it. Um, there are going to be times where you're going to hate it, but, um, at the end of the day, you will be so, thankful that you have this lifestyle I think I, I think so I, as well yeah going forward you experienced several deployments several several deployments right but um I heard that you um went through was it your first major deployment was Desert Storm right and that was yeah so um no computers no email no phone calls much different than today and no family support groups. I say that the brigade commander that we had was the inventor of it. I can remember looking out my stairwell window over at her house and the lights would be on at one or two in the morning. And she, we would be trying, you know, we'd all kind of help. And Marty was not in command yet. He was um, the XO for the brigade. And I mean, we, we kissed them goodbye and we had, no idea how long they were going for. <clears throat> of course, at that time, there was the threat of the chemical weapons. Would they come back? You know, what? who knows what? Um, and really, no support. And we were in Germany, so we were already forward deployed. Um, we, I had the three kids there. Um, and I remember my mom and my sisters called and saying, okay, so when are you coming home? Because he's, and I said, I'm not coming home. And they were like, you know, what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? I said, I don't know. But I think right now my job is to keep life as normal as possible for them. And I said, you know, I may look back in 20 years and say, boy, did you blow that? You should have taken them home. But I, I did the right thing. They Because every one of those kids, dads and moms were deployed from our base. And so, you know, if one day my son was down you know, the buddy, they travel, they kind of had this group because my older two are only 14 months apart. So, and it's son and daughter. And so their friends all kind of were the same. And um, I ended up, I coached two basketball teams because I said I was already coaching our younger daughters, but a soldier was coaching our older kids. And they said, well, I guess now these deploying, we got to stop. I said, no, I'll do that one too. Because I just felt like this was so traumatic for the kids to begin with that if we can kind of keep life as normal, whatever that was, as possible. I mean, they went to school. There was a tank parked at the front of the school. I mean, it it was really a different a different time. And not to, oh, we had it harder than, you know. But I think we, 
the the blessing of Desert Storm was I think we learned so many lessons that then we started employing and getting ready that by the time all these deployments and the conflict started, I think we were much better prepared for that. We were not prepared for Desert Storm in any fashion. I mean, we... As far as you the know, families go? As far as the families go. Yeah, I mean, the soldiers are always training. They they were ready. Although, you know, truth be told, if it had been more chemical use and stuff, I don't know. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But as far as families, you know, and then again, and us overseas, and what happened was, because there was no um, kind of accountability, I guess, or, or information on every family member in an effort, so some were leaving, some... And we had no knowledge of who was gone. Who, and had there been more casualties, you know, we were lucky that it, you know, was a 24 hour whatever. And I'm, I, you know, there were some obviously, but not on the scale that we're today. We wouldn't have been able to find the family member to even, you know, report the casualty. It, yeah, it, it was really crazy. So we buckled down and, you know, with each group tr- started. I mean, we had binders with a, like an information sheet on people just so, you know, are you going back to the States? Will you be staying here? What's your contact info? What's your, cause we had none of that beforehand. It was re- reacting instead of proactively having that all. So like I said, I think we learned a lot of lessons from that. And, um, and I, I think, you know, you ask about growth or I think that for me was, you know, there I was, a single parent, three kids in a foreign land. And and again, still no real way to communicate with home because it was still too expensive to call, no computers, no. So it was it was really different. I mean, we had spouses delivering babies and that their husbands didn't see until they got back six months later. You know, and thank God it wasn't too long at, at that point. Um but still, you know, so d- today, you know, the iPhones and the, even if they're deployed in the delivery room, they're seeing the baby right away. I mean, in some cases, the babies were four, five, six months old. And we were all, you know, helping be a coach to somebody else in labor because they didn't leave anybody back. And, you know, it was just kind of. So I want our listeners to understand that um, it was not that long ago that our military did not have the programming that we have now or even that we had 10 years ago. And I was part of the generation that came in, um, you know, getting to thoroughly enjoy the the harvest of all the work that your generation created for us. And so it wasn't that long ago that there weren't family programming. There wasn't FRGs. There wasn't um, the, the intense focus on family readiness, keeping families informed and getting them ready and prepared for these deployments, not to mention serving them afterwards and making sure that there's plenty of programming to support, um, when they come, when these service members come home. So, um, this was a lot of, of your generation. I know, especially building that and assessing the need for it and coming together and, and having those coffees and finding the support that you guys needed to, to survive through all of that. Um, so especially considering the lack of connectivity and technology that you guys had during these deployments, what was it like for your marriage, for, um, for General Dempsey, Marty, to come home and you guys be different? Because I'm sure after not having the ability to connect with him, maybe even there was a little bit more drastic of a difference of seeing how each other has changed from a deployment. You're raising these kids and developing that independence and that um, confidence. 
to get through something very difficult. And likewise, he's doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'm not sure that, the, so we did have the connectivity with snail mail. Mm -hmm. So we wrote lots of letters, all three kids, myself and Morty kept journals and we shared those. And actually just recently I came across my youngest daughters, which she, she always get, we kid that she's kind of the dramatic one. And, um, she was in second grade at the time. And so she would, you know, dear diary, she would call it her diary, her journal. And she, today I did blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And I miss you, dad. And Saddam's a jerk. Ah. And she would end every single page. Well, I had tears in my eyes. I was laughing so hard at the, you know, it's this little kid who is keeping a journal and telling her dad what was going on and what he was missing. And so, um, you know, it sounds old fashioned, but, you know, Marty would write letters and he's a great letter writer and to the kids and to me. And um, so I, I really didn't feel that it was all that drastic. Funny enough, I, I think, I mean, we were obviously thrilled when he got back and there, there honestly wasn't that big an adjustment period. I'm not sure why, but, um, you know, I think we were all just thrilled. And then we went back home because he was going to take him in, in the same place we found. So we thought we were going home after three years and we got a call and you're selected for command. Oh, we're all excited. Where are you going? Uh, right across the street. We were like, what? <laughs> but I mean, it turned out great. Um, but we went home to do the pre-command courses and my mom kept the three kids for the week that I was, well, one week Marty was supposed to be by himself and one week with me. And so I said to my mother, would you keep him for two weeks? Cause I'm going to stay that extra week. And so we can just have some time. And I think maybe that was great coming on the heels of not being together to just kind of have some time. I mean, it was a lot of, Oh, what are we going to do with the battalion? And we were so excited about that and kind of sharing thoughts at night. But I think it was also in hindsight now that you said, you know, might've been also just that reconnecting and having been apart for six months and getting ready to take command. So. Now I also um, saw that you went through a two, two year deployment. Yeah. So actually it was about um, 38 months out of 48 months. Um, Marty, so you mentioned that we had been stationed in Saudi Arabia. So um, it was almost a two-year assignment for me, but I was evacuated in April of 2003 because there had been a bombing. So I lived in a hotel in Northern Virginia for four months. And um, in that time, Marty was told that he was going to become the first armor division commander in Iraq. So he went straight from Saudi to Iraq by way of he came home for a week to see me in my hotel room <laughs> and um, and then went over. And then at the end of July, beginning of August, I flew to Germany because that's where First Armor Division was headquartered and moved in there. And I mean, that was really strange, too, because as you've said, and I really liked it, that Marty and I were always considered ourselves a team. And I, I was always thankful to him for letting me part, be part of it. So, but it was the first time, I mean, I moved in and everybody had already deployed, they had left in May. And so, you know, it, by the time they came home and <laughs> this was, if you remember the famous boots on the ground a year, that was first armor division. So they left in May, they thought they were coming home September, October, November. 
And then it was, no, you're staying a year. So they weren't supposed to come home until April. So Marty actually started R&R. There had not been R&R before that. And he said, look, if we're going to be here a year, there's going to be things that these folks have to get back for family and whatnot. So started R&R, but most of the commanders, and of course, Marty did not come home. So, and then, yes, you guessed it. Come April, we'd already done seven welcome home ceremonies. And we got word that they were going to be extended. And we had to send all those folks back. And that was really, really hard. So Marty sent um, one of his assistant division commanders, General Mark Hurtling, home. And he and I went around. to. We did nine three-hour long town hall meetings at every concern to explain why they were being extended, what were issues, what did we have to handle in that extra three months. And actually, it worked. we didn't have one incident in that extra three months, which I'm so proud about. But I think people were... Um, the fact that Mark talked to them honestly, answered court, and he would start kind of every town hall with, this sucks, it's not fair, but here's the deal. And so, you know, I, I can remember spouse saying to me, look, I'm not happy about it, but at least now I understand and buckle up. You know, they've had a successful deployment. We can do it for another couple of months. So I didn't see Marty for 14 consecutive months. And, you know, if you take away the week that he saw me in four more months, so it's kind of like 18. He got home. He was home like 10 months, 11 months, and then was told he was going to go back. And we thought, oh, it'd be a year. And then he said, no, I think it might be 18 months. And then it turned into two years. And I remember saying to him, I can't do this again. I just can't do this again. It was, you know, that it was so hard. And um, would you say, would you say that that, that season is one of the harder points for you when you look back as a military spouse and as a wife? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you kind of think, okay, I checked that block. I did that. You know, don't ask me to do it again. Although it was different in that I lived at Fort Belvoir by myself for that two years. And because he was what they call Min Sticky, and I used to kid, you were Min Stucky because you couldn't get out of there. Um, (laughs) There weren't family members really that I, you know, in that um, year deployment and the extension I, I can't count how many memorial services I went to. Um, what, was and, that like, what was that like for you, just personally? Like, what was that period of growth for you like? Um, you know, on the one hand, it's so hard and so emotional. On the other hand, I felt like um, I needed to be there for all the other spouses at different... Like, I'll never forget, Marty called one night and um, he said, so what are you doing? I said, actually, I'm getting ready to leave. I'm headed to Baumholder for a coffee. Now, Baumholder was two hours away from where we lived. The, the division in Germany was like from one end to another, a three-hour stretch of all these different places. So he said to me, you're going to Baumholder for a coffee? Because he knew how far away it was. And I said, Mark, I have been to so many memorial services there. I, I was kind of feeling like the angel of death. You know, I said, I need to go for something fun. So they asked me to come. I'm driving down go to coffee. I went to a Mother's Day brunch with, the, you know, I did different things, different concerns that because I felt like in some ways I was only going for memorial services, which were so hard. You know, again, you're already forward deployed. So you have all these folks overseas living without their spouses, whether man or woman. And um, it just, but the, the one positive I would say that I think we were blessed with that something following us didn't, 
our whole division was intact. Mm -hmm. So they started together, they finished together. It was battalions working for their brigades, brigades in the division. You know, Marty could kind of wrap his arms around all of them and I could do the same with the family members back in Germany. Where after that, you know, it kind of became this division with that brigade, with this company, with that. And I think that's harder, you know, and I'm I'm not over there. So I, but I, from a family standpoint, I can say it, I think it would definitely be harder because we were all in it together kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was a really tough stretch of, you know, gone forever, not seeing you home for, you know, you're kind of just getting back in the groove of things and then you're going again. And, and then it became apparent it was going to be longer than a year. And now we did, he did get an R and R and um, he actually got two because of the two years and then he had to go to um, Belgium for, cause he was dual hatted as a NATO person. And so we had a thing up in NATO and I said, I'll fly to Belgium. I mean, it was like three or four days, but you know, it was worth it to, to just go and see him. And, you know, at that point too, now there's computers, there's the telephone. I talked to him often and, um, but still, you know, as we all know, it's not the same as, as being together. So. So when you look back, um, do you have a season of marriage that was maybe especially difficult that you guys kind of got through and learned a lot about yourselves and each other that made you stronger here now? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess maybe that point in time, because I, I think what we learned is we really do love each other and like to be together. And so being apart this long is hard. But I used to say, too, in some ways, I felt, um, um, I don't know if blessed is the right term, um, because I wasn't feeling blessed during it. But the fact that Marty and I had such a history, you know, when he deployed at that point in 2003, we had been married for 27 years. So there's something to fall back on at that point <clears throat> where my heart just ached for a lot of these young couples who, you know, get married and six months later, he's gone for a year and comes back and it's home a year and he goes another nine months and he's back. And I think that's so hard. And, um, you know, I, so again, I think we were lucky or blessed or whatever in that when we got to those really difficult times, we had a history. There was something to fall back on that I think a lot of the younger couples didn't have, which it's it's hard when, you know, you, you don't even really know each other yet. If you've only been married a year and they're late, you know, I mean, you're still kind of in the honeymoon phase. And then all of a sudden, whack, you know, you, there you go. I mean, you just so I I think, yes, it was really hard on us. But we we realized, too, you know, with that comes but of knowing that I really do like being with you. If if it didn't matter to me or, you know, you would hear some wives say, oh, I'm ready for him to go. You know, we can use the extra money or something. I'd think, oh, my God, all the money in the world isn't worth not being together, you know, because we really enjoy each other's company. So but I, I did feel like we had an advantage in having that history. I think it's such a powerful thing for couples to realize the importance of having that history. And some of these younger couples that you were just talking about, just building that history, that they realize that you 
are in a season of life where you have the opportunity to build what kind of history that you're going to have that foundation for later, right? There right. is something to say about being able to look back and say, look what we've gone through. Look what we have survived at times. Look at what um, we've been for each other. And then when those difficult times happen, whether you have two years or 27 years, you can say, sure. you know, one of our favorite movies is the story of us with um, Bruce Willis and Michelle Pfeiffer. It's got a lot of bad language in it, but it's this, basically it's this great story of a couple who is trying to decide whether or not they should separate and divorce and just life got sticky and difficult and um, just a rough patch. And, but in the end, spoiler alert, but in the end, um, they decide they have too much history that if they were to start over with someone else, they would have no history with this new person and they'd still have to build it anyways. And so why throw away this history that you have with somebody um, because you're going through a rough time? Sometimes it's just yeah. digging in and working hard and realizing that there are seasons. There are exactly. seasons to and every think, marriage and, and relationship. I think going through those difficult times makes the marriage even better. Absolutely. You know, if, if, if you're just coasting along, I think sometimes not that you take one another for granted necessarily, or but you're just coasting. I think, you know, and, and there were times along the way. I mean, everybody has stuff where it's, oh God, this is hard. But to get through the hard stuff, I think on the, when you come out the other end, it just, to me, my theory is it makes it even stronger and more worthwhile in your, you know. So I think you guys are at least publicly absolutely adorable. <laughs> and so Marty um, sings. He, he's very yes. well known for singing at events and I think singing to you. And so what would you say, um, looking back or even today, what do you guys do to be intentional towards working on your relationships and staying connected? Because especially there, I'm, I'm assuming, especially during those joint chief of staff years and the chairman years, there was lots, lots of travel going on, whether you guys were able to be together or not. So how did you stay or how do you stay so connected? I, you know, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know that it's anything conscious. Um, I did travel almost all the time with Marty. Um, and so, you know, we, we did have time together where you can, t I mean, I think, you know, and everybody says communication and yeah, that's important. And uh, I think a sense of humor is really important. <laughs> I mean, you've got to laugh at yourself and you've got to kind of just laugh at life sometimes, you know, the way things happen. Um are you, are you just know. as musical as he is? Oh, not, no, but hell no. <laughs> I mean, I know the words to every song, but you do not want to hear me sing. So if he forgets words, I can feed him the lines. But yeah, no, I, I've i never been the one to say, but he, he sings with the kids and the grandkids. And I mean, it's kind of been his thing. He, he started um, back when he had a battalion command. He used to say, you know, if they can see the old man making a fool of himself kind of, th or just being, that it puts everybody kind of, you know, at ease. And they actually start, so the unity commanded at battalion level is called the bandits and they started a bandit glee club and they'd come over to the house. One of the spouses played the piano. We had a piano and she'd play and they'd all sing and they performed at the brigade balls and stuff. And it'd be like a half an hour of practice and, you know, an hour and a half of socializing and eating and drinking and, you know, whatever at the house. But it was another way to build kind of camaraderie in the unit. And and then he just kind of from there, he just kind of kept doing it. And um, it became a thing. 
It did. It did. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure how, but, um, you know, like I said, it's kind of his thing. And, um, you know, the kids love, the family loves it. The, the great kids adore when he sings with them, you know, they'll do everything from the green alligator to, you know, whatever. So. Well, I think that speaks to the humor that you guys have been able to have, the humility and um, and the leadership style too. I think you guys as a leadership couple really knew how to lead with your heart, but also lead well as, you know, um, I don't want to say professional, but you also knew how to the full weight and responsibility of what it means to be a leader while also being human. And that's a huge characteristic that's important to have in a leader. So, um what would you say to some of the senior wives, the senior spouses out there who are, um, who have been in for a while and, you know, we've had this conflict for a very long time. We have lots of deployment cycles. A lot of the deployments that some are going through are not even in large groups. They're like mutants and Legos of deployments. And um, what would you say to some of these wives who've been in for a while? They kind of are used to the military experience, but you know what it's like to be a wife who's been in for a while. What would you say to encourage them and their marriages? First, I'd say thank you for what they're doing because, and, and I think for them to realize what they're doing is important. It, it is, it's just really important, I think, to have um, that team, A, um, and then showing that, that somebody cares. You know, I remember one battalion commander's spouse, Marty had the division, called me one day. They had just got married before he took command, so she had no knowledge of military, and here he's going in a command. And, she called me and it, basically it was, she didn't know about something and she was feeling like she was letting him down. And and I said, Nancy, the fact that you're calling me and even asking shows you care. And at the end of the day, that's what that unit, that's all they want to know through all these difficult things that we're asking of families. If they know that somebody cares about them. So, you know, what you do is important. Thank you for what you do. You won't regret it. Um, uh, you know, I I think the rewards at the end of it far outweigh. I mean, it's hard work, and and you know, you're not getting paid. Sometimes you're not getting recognized. You're not, but don't think it goes unnoticed because it doesn't. Um, I've been surprised know. to hear how many senior spouses um, don't get thanked or recognized. Um, they're so. Um, the volunteer work that they do and the amount of time and effort that they put in um, is really incredible. Mm -hmm. It is. And a lot of people don't understand that, you know, and I, I just, I, I think they're, you know, I always say if we could bottle what's in military spouses and sell it, we'd be rich because there's something different in our makeup. There just is the, the things we're asked to do, the things we do freely, the, um, and the way we connect and, you know, that sisterhood, it, it's something very special. It is pretty incredible. You know, I can't end today without asking you, what is retirement like? It's great. <laughs> I mean, we, we don't necessarily miss some of the job, you know, demands. Um, we miss the people because at the end of the day that, you know, our team, we just had a, a great team. I mean, we were together so much flying and it. I mean, we were a family and so missed that part, but we have more time for the kids and the grandkids and um, Marty's doing things in retirement that he's proud of. And I am, you know, he said, you take 
that many years to build up a reputation. You don't want to do something that necessarily. So he's teaching at Duke and he's working with the MBA as Adam Silver's advisor for um, leadership and social responsibility. And he's chairman of USA basketball. So the Olympic stuff will be under him. And um, yeah, so we're in, you know, he's, he's very involved as am I with TAPS and the Bob Woodruff Foundation. So we're very proud of both of those organizations and what they do for our military and our survivors and veterans and all. So, so we're doing great. Yeah. It's no, pretty, no complaints. It's pretty incredible what you guys have accomplished and um, you really have done so well and you have really modeled for us what it's like to not only have a successful marriage, but to keep giving to your communities, to serve and keep serving. And, um, I just, I know that this community respects you and, and holds you in just high regard. Um, I have to ask you one other question. I heard a rumor, um, that perhaps one of your legacies is that when you were here in DC, um, you had a binder. I don't know if this is true, but a binder of all of the organizations or nonprofits or, or programs that are available to military families. Is that true? Um, yes and no. So that might be confused with every year I was asked to sit on a um, panel to judge for the Newman, um, um, wasn't called the Newman Foundation, the Newman Awards, where they would give money to aspiring or established um, veteran military support groups, whatever. Um, and so I would get a binder that big and I'd sit and we'd have to go through and rate. And then, and there was a panel of about five of us. Um, some were retired spouse, some were active duty, some were members of the Fisher House or the Newman Foundation or whatever. And um, we would sift through all these organizations that were looking for more money and decide, okay, this, this is a great idea. Or I would always try if, if we were given money, let's say to four different groups, if we had determined that we had money for four, I'd want to try and touch every, like something for the kids, something for spouses, something for, you know, so that we kind of covered the whole landscape. Um, so, I mean, it was a lot of work because you want to make sure when you, you see, first of all, it was wonderful to see that there were this many different groups out there trying in their own way to help, whether it was injured veterans, spouses, kids, whatever. Um, but then there was that additive, you know, you don't want to leave a good one out and you so, um, but I think it was also what I heard was that you had, you had this amazing notebook that at least showed just how many resources are available to our military and to our veterans. And, um, and, and what I had, what they had said was Deanie was somebody that would say, that's great. We do need to champion and get behind the families that really need the help, but let's make sure that we're not duplicating services. Let's talk about how we can work together. Yes. And, and sometimes so, we need a physical showing of realizing just how much is actually out there to serve those who need it. Exactly. So that when Marty became the chief, that was something we did ask about. So I said, and truth be told, because of the conflicts, pretty much anybody that had a good idea, money was thrown behind it. And that's, I don't say that negatively. We needed anything and everything we could get for those years. But then it became, 
how many do we have and what's duplicating? And, you know, we need to make sure that we can fund the very best ones. Mm -hmm. And so I did, I asked for, I said, does anybody even out there know how many there are? And, and truth be told, I never saw the finished binder of that, but I had asked for it and I'm sure it's now floating around because I said, there's just too many. And, and as we were going to have to tighten our belts as well with the budgetary, you know, requirements, let's not get rid of something that's really good. Or if, if A, B and C are kind of all doing the same thing, let's make them one and then throw money at that as opposed to having three individual things. So, um, you know, ho hopefully we're doing that. And, you know, it, it, it's hard when you have that, because, you know, if it was something I started or used to, you've, you've invested in that and you think it's a great mm -hmm. idea. And so to say, hey, we're going to do away with that one. That's also hard to take. And we understood that, but when money talks and, you know, there's only a finite number of dollars and we weren't having the kind of money and taken care of that we had in, initially. And so, you know, it's, we wanted to just make sure we had the right programs in the right places. It's a great problem to have, um, right. but it's important, I think, for those who are um, working on getting into a nonprofit or have these ideas to start a nonprofit to realize just how much is out there and doing the research of knowing what's out there and, and realizing that we can actually join together and we can actually make a difference sometimes by not reinventing the wheel, but seeing what's already out there and working so, together. And yep. so I was just wondering if that um, rumor was true, that that was a Deanie yep. Dempsey move. <laughs> well, um, Deanie, it was such a pleasure to, to spend some time with you. Thank you. I know your time is extremely valuable, especially uh, now when you guys are spending so much time with family and, and enjoying what you're getting to do on the other side of service, but still serving. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for giving me your time. Um, it's just really wonderful to see you. And you're always so bright and bubbly and personable and... Um, I'm so glad that everybody got a chance to see you. Oh, thank you. And I, I'd like to add one thing. You yeah. have mentioned in your email something that either you pinch yourself or yes. of being. So the thing when Marty was the chairman that was my bucket list every year was doing the USO tours. So we would do five countries in seven days. Um, we always went to Afghanistan. We went to Iraq. We went to Kuwait. We, you know all over to see. And I used to kid that I was the designated hugger because I just, you know, I mean, you feel so bad for all of them away from their families at Christmas. Um, and one year, actually, as we landed at Bagram, everybody stood back and let me get off first because my son was at the bottom of the stairs. Oh my. So that, that was, you know, incredible. And I used to, anybody that I would run into like the two weeks beforehand, I'd yeah, this one Air Force mom had a son there. And I said, if you want me to bring him something, because we had the plane. Mm -hmm. And I said, I, I'd be happy to bring him a Christmas present. So of course, she gives me a box. They get a hold of this lieutenant. He's at the bottom of the stairs as we are landing that year. And you could just see in his face, oh, my God, my mother had the chairman bring my Christmas present. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that that was a memory unlike any other. But And then the pinch yourself was every time we got off that plane to turn around and look, United States of America. You never forgot. Um, it, we were ambassadors for our country and uh, so proud to do what we did. So oh, I, I have to say um, there's, 
you know, I had a chance December 2015 to travel with Secretary Ash Carter for that Christmas tour and, um, and get in one of those planes. And you realize the weight and gravity of um, what felt like a world chess match that I was involved in just watching from (laughs) behind my chair. (laughs) But, um, you know, to me, it was a life changing moment as a military spouse to step into Afghanistan, to step into Iraq. And, and the weight I saw this, you actually said this in the interview for that USO tour that I saw, um, where you actually said, you know, you feel like you're bringing military families with you because you're getting to see something that so few families get to to experience, to right. smell the air, to to see the mountains. To right. for me at least, it was a life changing experience to understand my husband so much better to just even step foot in country. I was wondering if you felt the same way. Absolutely, absolutely. I felt like I represented every spouse, mother, sister, you know, everybody. Um, I got to the first year in Iraq, I was at the end of mission closing ceremony. And, you know, to know as many people as I did that either had lost their life there or injured or whatever, and sitting there and, and, you know, just seeing our military and it was unbelievable. And then in Afghanistan to see what they're doing. And I mean, you're just so proud of them. And it was so interesting to see the, the stars it would go with us each time. And I used to say two things happened with every group, inevitably. One was over the week, they became very tight mm-hmm. because we would all meet at Andrews Air Force Base, load the plane and go. There weren't any rehearsals or practices. And oftentimes they didn't know each other. And and the second thing was how during the week they became smitten with our soldier, sailors, airmen and Marines. I mean, they... By the last night, we would always do a little reception and thank them, and Marty would have gifts for them, and he'd say something about them and call them up to say something, and inevitably, their head would go, they were so emotional and choked up, they couldn't even speak, and so it was just nice to, you know, and then they would go back and tell people what our, you know, our young kids are doing, they're, you know, there's just so much to be proud of when you go over there and see what they're doing and, um, you know, just, and the generosity of people, Georgetown cupcakes would send 10,000 cupcakes with us every time. And, you know, to just hand them out, you know, I mean, it'd, it'd be fun. They'd say, Oh no, ma'am, watch your waist. I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is a Georgetown cupcake. You have to eat <laughs> I've had this. those. <laughs> they're good. They're good. And so for me- it was amazing to, and again, because, I mean, my husband, my son, my daughter, my daughter spent 15 months in Afghanistan, eight months in Iraq. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a family business and just getting to visually, you know, have in your mind, this is where they are. And, um, you know, when we got back on the plane after the time when our son was there and Marty and I had kind of the separate cabin up front and I was just looking out the window and he said, you okay? And I'm worried about Chris. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I couldn't even talk because as soon as I did, I'd start crying again, you know, and, but you're just so proud of them too. You know, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful life, isn't it? It is. It is. I mean, there. how else can you be so proud of what you do and, and the impact it's making on the world? And, you know, it's, it's, it's great. Well, one of the things that I, I will look back on this conversation and think about is just how much you have um, given so much of your life to not only serve 
um, these military families, but also serve your husband and um, taking on that team role and choosing to be with him, even if it costs you um, or you sacrifice the money to do it, that it was important to you to um, be this team player, to be this ambassador. And I think that's a wonderful role that we can walk away with this new vision of just going, you know, we all have, no matter what stage of military life that we're in, that we play an important role in our marriage. You know, I always think that, you know, regardless of where we're sent, regardless of the uncertainty that we're facing in the military life, we have a marriage and that is one thing that it's stable. We have our, our family, our little nucleus that we're home wherever we go. And if we don't take care of those things, then life will feel very uncertain. And that's when we start to lose hope. And so. Exactly. Um, and people used to say during the chairmanship, you know, God, you're so busy. How do you do it? And I, I used to say part of it is self-inflicted because just what you said, I said, we have three kids and nine grandkids. And we cannot put that on hold for four years. And so if we had a free day there or a weekend, it was, and they were good about coming to us if we, you know, couldn't get to them. And, um, but you're absolutely right. You, you need to make that time to, for them and invest in that. And if it makes your life crazier, which it did for, it, at the end, it was worth it. Cause we could walk away knowing we still had those relationships with our kids and our grandkids and that, you know, it wasn't just, okay, hang on, we got to do this for four years. No, we're all part of it. So yeah, good point you make. Well, Dini, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Lori, for having me. This this was great. It was, oh, it was great for me. Lift some stuff. <laughs> it was great for me too. I hope you guys um, enjoy yourselves and are relaxing and sleeping and yeah. <laughs> traveling when you Not want so to. <laughs> but it's all good. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.